Well, happy uh, Father's Day to all the dads, and hopefully you guys will do something special uh, with your dads if um, you still have them in your life or uh, you're able to if they're nearby. Um, it is a, an exciting time of the year for us as VBS is tomorrow, and uh, we're excited about that, and uh, a lot of you are serving, and as we had mentioned before, we want you to really... Um, Pray for this. You know, this is us sharing our faith to the next generation. This is the work of the church. This is the work of what happened in Israel, that it was a mandate that we had to share our faith to the next generation. And uh, we do it in a fun way, obviously. And uh, so uh, make sure you uh, pray for that tonight, if you could. Whether you're involved or not, pray for that. And today, I know they catered uh, barbecue from Dickie's Barbecue, and we're going to have a big volunteers meeting, and uh, some of you all of a sudden are feeling called to serve in the kids' ministry today, uh, feel free to come and, um, and uh, join. But we're looking forward to that. And uh, next week, we have our promotion Sunday. So all the kids just grow up so fast. And uh, as they, if, if you have a child that's moving on and graduating, um, not just uh, changing grades, but graduating, please let Pauline or John know. Uh, but we're going to have a great celebration next Sunday, so we want to keep that in mind. You know, we're in this wonderful psalm, and I, it seems like almost every week um, in the last however weeks we've been going through psalms, I keep saying, this is my favorite psalm, you know, and you're thinking, man, stop lying, you said that last week, but really, this today is my favorite psalm for this week, right? And uh, it is so good. It is so comforting. It's so reassuring, like you feel just so ready. You feel so strengthened when you read this and how much we need this, how important this is. And uh, we want to uh, read this and understand how important this is. You know, um, this picture we get here of the uh, psalmist and what the psalmist says here, um, we get a picture of someone who is going through difficulties. And there's two images that are painted of how hard and what how difficult life can be. And a lot of us, um, this is life, but we experience hardships. Our worlds just get rocked and things happen to us. You know, as a pastor, I hear uh, so many prayer requests and difficulties from people. And that's just part of life. That's what happens to us. And here, the psalmist describes it in these two ways. Um, and one of the commentators I read describes it as this, suddenly all man-made props all structures of support crumble and leave you helpless. And this is the picture. All man-made props, all the things that we think give us some kind of support, they crumble. And this is the picture we get. Verse 2 is natural disasters. right? You look at verse 2 in the Bible. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at us. Well, now, you get a picture of the earth falling apart. There is an earthquake of some sort, a, a huge earthquake. And in the midst of that, he writes this. Now, living in Southern California, we have endured and experienced our little tremors here and there. Um, and even in that, it's very unnerving. What is it, a year ago or so, there was an earthquake, maybe less than a year. Just right here in Brea was the epicenter. The epicenter was about 100, 200 yards from my house. When you look on the, uh, the map. And it was six point something. And our house took pretty bad. Um, my daughter, Carissa, was running upstairs as cracks were forming. She saw cracks were forming. 
in the drywall. And she thought this house is goner, you know? And she's running towards us. And I was like, why'd you run towards us? You're supposed to run out. But she goes, you were upstairs, you know? And, and glass and, and things fell and broke. Our front door, the, the lock had broken and shook so much we couldn't open the door. Um, and that, you know, I, I couldn't sleep well for a couple of days. I was just the nerves of that. And what is that showing us? This is showing us the house that you live in, the man-made thing that you depend on. When that falls apart, when you see it literally falling apart, and when life is falling apart in this way, this is where God is. And the second picture we get here is wars. When verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The, the picture of nations at war, the political system that we depend on, the security we think we have from national borders when it's gone. We know this through news nowadays. You see countries like Syria and parts of the Middle East and parts of Africa where, where people are losing their towns, they're losing their homes, and they're running for their life. Can you imagine what that's like? You read in history, we see movies about it. Some of our grandparents or parents have experienced this firsthand. Um, the things that we have made, the man-made props, the structures of support, when they crumble away. Maybe for us here, it's our health, it's the ability to, for, to, to make money, it's our intelligence, whatever. It, those things are our man-made props. Those things are the things that we think give us security. When all those things go, when it is taken away, where do you turn to? Obviously, we turn to God. And there's a picture here of God, um, kind of a two-part picture. God is present and God's in our midst. They both sound very similar, but they're a little different in the nuance, and I want to highlight that this uh, morning with you. First of all, God is with us. Take comfort, God is with you. You know, when you all watch a scary movie, it's nice to watch it with a friend. When, you, when I remember going to Not Scary Farm in high school, you know, going with friends made it fun. I wouldn't want to go by myself, you know. And um, even taking someone like that is comforting, but imagine God being with you. Now, the picture we have here is in verse 1. Look at verse 1 together. And I want us to read this out loud in one voice. Let's read together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I want us to remember that thought. It's a, it's a communal uh, confession. God is our refuge and strength. It's us. What you experience, I experience and, and when we, I need God, you, you know, you're there with me. And it's this communal experience. And this phrase here, right? God is our refuge. It's a place of protection, of hiding. God is our strength. When I've ran out of strength, I go to him for strength. But not only that, this last phrase I want to highlight, a very present help in trouble. We just sang that in this song. A very present help. What does that mean? It's kind of awkward English, you know, the ESV is trying to get this across, to get what the writer is trying to say in English, a very present help. What he's trying to say, and the word very there, is the word that commentators have pointed out, me'od, which means in the highest degree. So he's not just there, right? He's not just there but mentally checked out, or he's not just there because he's talking to you on the phone. Well, he's not just there with you in spirit. He is fully engaged. He is right next to you. Me'od, he's, he's there in the highest degree. And so the NIV tries to translate this ever-present God. The ESV says, a very present help. 
And so the picture we get is not just a God who is a distance away, um, watching us from a distance. He is very close to us. He is right next to us. And that word meod is used in Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your meod, with all your might, to the highest degree of your life, you ought to love God. And that's the same meaning here. With everything he is there. He is very close to us. He is always there. This Last night there was a uh, news show that um, interviewed a father and daughter, uh, Johan Otter and his daughter Jenna. Johan Otter, at the, 10 years ago, was 43 years old, took his daughter, 18 years old, um, before she was going to start college at uh, UCI. They went to, to Montana, to the uh, Glacier National Park. And he decided to go for this father-daughter trip. They were going to go hiking. It was beautiful there. And yesterday in the interview, they were talking. And, and the dad was saying, yeah, he kept falling behind because it was so beautiful. He kept taking videos and pictures. And he was capturing this. And, and his daughter was like, come on, dad, hurry up. You know, let's go, let's go. They were going to go on this hike. And about an hour into the hike, they get to this very uh, difficult part of the hike. And, and it got very narrow, and it was like a, a side of a hill, and you had to kind of just uh, kind of balance your way, and you would make a sharp left turn. So you didn't know what was around the left side. And he tells it in such detail where he said he was following her, kind of enjoying the view, and he sees his daughter make that turn disappear and then reappear, and the look on her face told him there's something very wrong. She didn't have to say anything. He saw the expression on her face and saw that there was something really wrong. And the instincts kick in, and he grabs his daughter, pulls her back, and he now goes around the corner. And what he finds is a mama grizzly bear with the two cubs right there. They had just encroached in their safety space. He gets attacked by the bear. He is now trying to protect his daughter. He gets attacked, and... Uh, he, he gets attacked for about 15 minutes and he survives. Um, and his daughter gets attacked at one point and he yells, so the bear comes back to him. Obviously, they live to tell about it. But that picture he tells, that story he tells of, he looks at her face and just knows that something is wrong. And he not only, he doesn't just run away, Right? He doesn't say, oh, something scary, see ya. He doesn't run away. He now cuts in front of her. He runs into it head first. And you know, that's kind of the picture we get. You know, Jesus says, hey, if your earthly fathers give you good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give you? That's the picture we get, that if our earthly fathers would go and stand in the way and they know just by the look of our face, how much more does our Father in heaven know what is in our heart? What is on our prayers. And he knows by the look of our face and he is there. He is ever present with us. And so don't make your prayers or your uh, devotions in the morning. Don't make it just a religious duty, something you check off, something like a meditation. No, it's your communing with God. That God is with me. He is very present. Especially in trouble. Very present there. He knows me. Not only that, God is in our midst, it says. It's in the midst of the city. The city is Jerusalem, the people of God it represents. Today, we, we call it the church. He's in the midst of his people in the church. Um, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God is in the midst of it. He's in the middle of it. 
he is involved in this. So this is different than God being with us. It's the idea that the city is now acknowledging him. God is living in the city. God is in the middle of the city. And God is the center of the city. God is the center of the church. Um, a few years ago, we had a, a chance to go to Philadelphia to go speak and to go see. You walk through downtown and you walk through some of these parts and you see these big historic church buildings that were built. And they, on the outside, look like a church, but no longer are they churches, a lot of them. A lot of them are turned into cafes and restaurants and apartment buildings and whatever it is, office space. But on the outside, on the facade, you could tell it was built as a church. Though the outside looks like a church, God was not in the middle of it anymore. God's not in the midst of it. The idea of God being in the midst of it, that he is important in my life, that I acknowledge him in my life. Is he in the midst of your life? Or is he someone you visit once in a while? Or is he in the middle, the center of your life where all of your decisions, everything you do, you consider him? Should I buy this? Should I go over there? Should I th say this? You know, should I say that to this person? Should I date this person? Should I, you know, how should I raise this person? Uh, raise this child? You know, what should I do for them? And everything is acknowledged around him. He's in the midst. And I see people who have God in the midst, in the middle of their life versus who, those who don't. They face the same trials in life, the same hardships. They sit in the same traffic, deal with the same things at work, uh, the same hardships. They react differently. I see marriages where they go, the husband and wife go through the same problems, whether you have God in the midst or you don't have God in it. And you face the same issues. But the couples who have put God in the middle of the relationship, they deal with it differently. There's always hope. There's a commitment. We're going to get through this. Families. All families face hardships. All, face, all, all families have some kind of dysfunctions. Some kind of things that are just difficult. And those who have God in the middle of, they stick together and say, we're going to get through this. Those who don't acknowledge God, they, they struggle. It's tough. And so God has to be in the midst of our lives. You have to acknowledge God. You have to trust God. You have to obey God. These are all part of having God in the midst of your life. How important that is. Now, we have this picture here, and I want you to just stay with me. You have a picture here. It says this river comes, and, and, and the streams from the river make the city glad. Look, look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Um, I just want to highlight this theme about this river and the city. It's a big theological theme. There are certain theological threads that go all the way through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and this, the river, is one of them. Now, what does this mean? What is it saying? In the Old Testament, there's eight, about 800 references to rivers and water, bodies of water, streams, and so on. It's mentioned so much because water meant life. Water meant I could have fruit. I could have grain. Water meant I could live. Water meant that there is now, I could have a, a home there. And so water was very important. You know, it starts in Genesis, where in the Garden of Eden, there was a river in the middle. And from this river, all the fruits and all the trees were using that water. It's in the middle. And the Bible closes in Revelation 22 in the city of God where there is this river in the middle. 
and it is coming from the Lamb of God, and in it, the, next to it, the, the tree of life is bearing fruit. There is this river there. And in between Genesis and Revelation, the theme about water and river is continuously mentioned. We can go really deep into this, right? Whether it was God going to, you know, sending Moses to Pharaoh with the plagues, and one of them was turning the water into blood, um, or whether it's them crossing the Jordan, eventually the Israelites to get across, that Jesus Christ himself was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. It was this idea of just the river there. One thing that happened, and I want to um, highlight this, is what's known as Hezekiah's Tunnel in 2 Kings 20.20. King Hezekiah is under attack from the uh, Assyrians. And they get into the city, and they need to now protect the city. The, within the walls of the city was safe. And the Assyrians are coming. They're outside. But one of the things that they had to do was make sure they got water. They couldn't go out to get it because the enemy was out there. It was dangerous. So they, would, they dug a tunnel, and that would bring water, like an aqueduct, into the city. And they had a pool of water within the city. Now, can you imagine how glad they were? When they said, okay, let's see if it works. And they now dig that final hole in the ground and they're wondering and water starts trickling in and it fills up. It meant life. It meant security. It meant they were safe. They could live there. And so archaeologists have found this and you can go visit Hezekiah's tunnel today. Um, during the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the things that the priests would do at the temple they would go to the pool of Siloam outside. They would get water. They would get buckets of water. And this is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would bring it in, and they would pour out the water. It was part of their ceremony. They would dump the water next to the temple. And this comes from what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 47. And he has a vision that one day from the temple will come this water. And this water will be gushing out from the temple. And it will be a, a big amount of water coming from the temple. And so they remembered Ezekiel's prophecy. And they would, they would do this in remembrance. This meant life. This meant abundance. This meant God's provision. Well, Jesus comes on the scene. And in John chapter 7, during the Feast of Tabernacles, it says this in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, Look at the connection here. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, it wasn't just the human the life that we needed, but it was our spiritual lives. It was sustenance. It was life eternal. And so this river that's mentioned in Genesis and Revelation, and that's mentioned here in this psalm, to make the city so glad. It's a picture of Christ giving us God the Holy Spirit. We have him. What is, uh, how does he describe himself? As the living water. The water that's moving. The water that we could use. The water that is fresh. It's him. That he is our sustenance. He is my life. He is the river whose streams make glad the city of God. He is what makes us glad. It's him. And it's interesting here. Remember the two big pictures, the two chaotic pictures, the earth falling apart, the nations going to war. God says at the end of this psalm in chapter 10, uh, verse 10 rather, he takes those two things and he says what? Be still, know that I am God. 
I will be exalted what among the nations and in the earth. God will be exalted in our trouble, a very present help in times of trouble. He is there and he will help you through this. There is a story after this. There is a purpose to our suffering. And so when we go through hardships, he will be exalted in the earth, in the nations. When, all, when everything has fallen apart, God is in the middle of that. And we take trust in that. This past week, uh, Elizabeth Elliot passed away. And some of you know and have read her books um, through the gates of splendor and so on. Elizabeth Elliot uh, was married to Jim Elliot, and Jim Elliot was known uh, as a martyr in the 1950s. Him and his friends, graduates from Wheaton, had gone and wanted to reach the Aachen Indians. And they go, and it's uh, within a short time that they are speared to death. And this made news across the whole country, that these guys from America had gone, and they were speared to death. The remarkable story is, is that Elizabeth Elliot had, um, at that point when Jim Elliot was, had, had been martyred, uh, had a 10-month-old daughter, and the two of them um, get connected with two women from the Aachen Indian tribe. They befriend them. They live together, and it opens up a door of trust, and she goes back and lives with them, and they become Christians. And, and this story is so compelling and so inspirational that Thousands and thousands of people from America and all over the world have committed themselves to missions when they would hear her speak. You know, after um, she got remarried uh, to a man named Addison Leach, and Addison Leach was a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and they would go out and, and, and speak, and, and she wrote books, and they would do a lot of work like this. Addison Leach, later in life, had passed away from cancer. And after he had passed away from cancer, she shared... Um, about the experience of losing Jim Elliot, and then now this second husband of hers, Addison Leach, and she says this, um, and she refers to Psalm 46, saying that, in the first shock of death, everything that seemed, almost, uh, everything that seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling, earth is reeling. In such a time, a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not, God is not shaken. And she added at the end, that the thing that is most needful to do when the psalmist does latter is to be still and know that God is God. God is God whether we recognize it or not. When the things get taken away from us, when the people that we think will be here for me forever are taken away from us, when our nation seem like it is going to war, when the earth below me seems like it is shaking and nothing that I have is protecting me, we have a refuge that we run to. And this is the thing. The refuge is here. Here is God. And some of us want to stand outside of the refuge. The enemy's coming. We say, I don't want to go in but I don't know what to do when we panic. And it only makes sense to say, well, why don't you go into the refuge? Why don't you go in and just be safe? There's water there. There's food there. Why don't you go in? That means we have to trust. You have to put your faith in God. And some of you are going through some tough times, and you guys say, God, 
I don't, I'm out of control, but you're in control, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it the way that you said. Life is not going the way that I had exactly scripted, that my mom said it would be, you know, by at this age, I'd have this and this and this. It's not going that way, but it's okay because, God, you are my refuge and strength. And we rely on him. Let me encourage you, just as he says in verse 10, to be still. It doesn't mean inactivity. It doesn't mean be lazy, do nothing. Be still. It's, it's like a timeout in a game to refocus. Just pause. Just pause for a moment. Think before you take on what's ahead of you. Remember who is with you. Remember how close he is in Christ. Remember what we have in him. Go and live in a radical trust, regardless of how overwhelming the threat is. He is still greater. Let's pray. Dear God, you are greater than the nations. You are greater than the earth that shakes. God, you are in the midst of us. And so we run to you. You are the very present help. So we run to you, God, and we cling to you. And some of our brothers and sisters, it's been tough. But you are very present, especially in trouble. So we run to you, God. And it is safe with you. There is peace with you. So we run to you, God. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name.